It's a joy to be here uh, with you this morning in this beautiful place. And um, uh, it's a challenge to, um, to um, be speaking in front of so many people. My watch is already telling me, uh, reminding me to relax. Um, and um, thank you, Christophe, for um, the summary of the context of uh, the previous chapters of um, what Tom preached on. Um, and, and since you did such a great job, I'm going to jump right in and start uh, with uh, today's passage. So um, today's passage begins when Joseph is uh, being made the right hand of Pharaoh. He, uh, he rises to uh, the, the top of the leadership of Egypt, and um, he's given immense power. And um, yeah, we, we see that Pharaoh takes his signet ring and, and gives it to him. He's clothed in garment. He gets to ride on his chariot. So he's, he's given immense honor and power. Pharaoh also gives him a wife, and they have two sons. And um, they aren't mentioned again in the passage we're looking at today. But uh, all we learn is, is their names. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph named his first son Manasseh, which means to forget, and his second son Ephraim, which means fruitful. Both are named after events in his life. And this has nothing unusual. We see examples of this. Um, Isaac was named after the laughter of Sarah when she heard that, some, that um, she would um, be a mother in her old age. And the first time I read this, I didn't think much of it. I didn't think it was um, significant. But then I realized, to a father, the name of his, of his sons is really important. And Joseph must have thought about this long and hard. Um, and and the, the names he chose tells us something about his preoccupations. Here is Joseph going through his life, looking for two events to name his sons. And what does he come up with? He comes up with uh, forgetting all his hardships and, his, and all his father's house. And how, um, how he was fruitful in Egypt, the land of his afflictions. These are the two main ideas I want to look at today. Manasseh, to forget, and Ephraim, fruitful. So if you don't forget these two points, this is going to be a fruitful hour. Let's start with to forget. What is there to forget? Joseph tells us that there are two things. First, um, his hardship, and second, all his father's house. Some scholars suggest that this is a figure of speech to mean all the hardship associated with his father's house. And when we read this, we might think that Joseph is being spiteful. And scholars agree to say that he was genuinely um, and, and truthfully thankful to God to be able to forget what his brothers did to him. Joseph was hated by his brothers. All ten of them agreed to murder him. To murder him. And uh, this betrayal must have shaken him. His brothers, the people closest to him, the people who, know, who knew him the best, judged that he was a nuisance that needed to be eliminated. What a trauma this must be. Joseph must have felt unloved and unwanted. 
And what of us here today? How do you deal with being betrayed by your closest friends? How do you deal with your employer judging that you don't perform well enough and firing you? Or how do you deal with your spouse leaving you? You might have been slandered or framed, or maybe although you did your best to raise your children, they reproached you to have been bad parents. Maybe there is something in your past that you would really like to forget, but you can't forget it. Is there a thing that haunts you, that makes you feel ashamed and sad every time you think of it? Whoever we are, we were all hurt, and we can all relate to Joseph. One can only wonder what, Joseph, what Joseph's feeling towards his brothers were as, um, as he, he lay forgotten in prison in his lonely moments. That bitterness would have grown up inside of him, um, and he might have plotted vengeance. After all, the reason why Joseph uh, ended up in prison in the first place is that his brothers sold him as a slave. It is difficult to get over betrayals like this when you're still suffering. What helped Joseph forget how he was wronged is that things took a, tur a turn in his favor. God gave Joseph the opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And thanks to this, Joseph was freed from prison. His life changed drastically from one day to the next. Now he's well surrounded, he has, a, he has a wife, and all his material needs are met. Joseph probably didn't forget the hardship as a result of sheer willpower, but because God helped him by changing, by changing his circumstances. It is God's blessing and his grace that helped him overcome resentment. Given his new position of power now, Joseph could easily go after his brothers. He has the means. He could go after them and take revenge. But he doesn't do it. We can know for sure, we, we can't know for sure where he's at in the process of, um, of forgiveness. But he's definitely past taking revenge. And Joseph named his first son Manasseh to forget because his brothers hurting him and the grudge he held affected him a lot. What happened affected him so much that when he looked for a name for his son, he couldn't come with anything better than to forget. Isn't this a bit extreme? I mean, come on, Joseph, surely there are more important deeds in your life that you could have named your son after. Or maybe not. What if forgiving his brothers horrible deeds was Joseph's greatest achievement in his whole life? After all, people who are hurt often grow bitter and resentful. And um, you could spend your life seeking revenge, going after the people who hurt you and, and hurt them back. You could spend your life suing people. You could organize your life in reaction to your hurt, trying to prove to yourself that whoever abandoned you was wrong because you're such an amazing person. This could turn your life into a quest to be noticed, to be approved, and to do whatever gives you popularity and recognition. So all this considered, um, 
it makes a lot of sense that Joseph named his son Manasseh. I mean, what a feat, what a joy that he could forgive. What was done to him is unforgivable, but Joseph overcame resentment. You might be thinking, well, that's, that's great for Joseph. His circumstances have changed, but mine haven't. So what if your circumstances don't change? How do you not become bitter? What do you do when you can simply not forget the evil that was done to you? There is hope. Even if your circumstances don't change like Joseph's did, Jesus Christ died for you out of love. No matter how, how others have hurt you, Jesus tells you that you are enough, that you are loved. And because the King of Kings, um, whose honor cannot be dirtied, embraces suffering and humiliation out of love for you at the cross, the unforgivable offense that was made against you becomes forgivable. In the light of his loving kindness, the things in your past that you can't erase and that you can't forget suddenly fade away and you can forgive and you can forget and be freed from bitterness. The fading away is a process. Revelations 21 verse 4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old, orders, for the old order of things has passed away. This will only be fully accomplished in the life to come, but it starts now. In the second passage that was read to us by Martin, it is not only Joseph God is working in. The whole situation is also affecting the brothers. They come to buy food, they bow before Joseph, thus accomplishing the prophecy in Joseph's dream. And when Joseph recognizes them and speaks harshly to them, at first sight, it might seem like he actually hasn't forgiven them and that he's taking revenge. But as we read on, it becomes clear that he's not taking revenge. What he does is a fair punishment and not vengeance. He's not trying to hurt them as much as they hurt him, but rather he's trying to stimulate repentance. Just like God makes us face situations to sanctify us, Joseph puts his brothers in a situation where they are tested. And he reaches this goal in verse 21, when the brothers say, in truth, we're guilty concerning our brother. As they leave, Joseph puts their money back in their bags, which shows his good intentions toward them. And about a year later, the brothers come again because, of the, because they need food, because of the famine. And Joseph decides to put his brothers to the test once again. Before they de depart with the food they have purchased, uh, Joseph hides his cup inside of Benjamin's sack. Um, and as, as they leave, he, ha he has his men go after them. And uh, so the brothers are stopped and they are told, um, who, in whoever's bag we find the cup, that men shall be put to death. And when the cup is discovered in Benjamin's bag, Judah 
steps forward and pleads with Joseph to release Benjamin and take him instead as a substitute. And it is from Judah, not Joseph, that the messianic seed comes. And when Joseph sees the selfless act Judah did, he's overcome by emotion and he reveals to his brother that he's Joseph. And thanks to Joseph's forgiveness and, um, and, not, and, and giving up on vengeance, but instead rebuking secretly his brothers, um, this dysfunctional family Tom was telling us about um, actually starts behaving like the people of God. Let's now turn to Ephraim, fruitful. Joseph names his second son Ephraim. He could have named him Elite because he made it to the top. Rather than naming his son after his rise to power, he names his son Fruitful because he was fruitful in the land of his afflictions. He gives more importance to what he can give than to what he receives, to, to the honor he receives. And we often think of our own jobs as the thing we need to do to receive a salary, or we see it as a competition to gain status, to make it to the top. By all those standards, Joseph nailed it. If anyone could be proud and brag, it would be him. He went from being a slave to becoming the ruler of Egypt. But Joseph doesn't see his rise to power as an end, but as a means to serve and to be fruitful. In the same way, when Jesus came to earth, he didn't use his divinity as an opportunity to flaunt his power and omniscience. He was born in a humble manger. And he had a normal job. He was a carpenter, probably for the first, uh, probably for roughly 15 years before he started his ministry. And the Bible doesn't record a single example of him doing something to promote himself or gain, gaining popularity. Rather, he focused on what he could do to serve the people, to help, exhort, and be fruitful. I want to ask you an important question this morning. Do you believe God has the power to promote you to any position of authority in your work like he did for Joseph? Do you believe if you, that if you simply focus on being fruitful in your job and leave aside the question of promotion or recognition, that God will place you where he wants you? Are you willing to leave it in God's hand, whether it is a position of prestige or an ordinary humble job like the one our Savior had? Are you ready to seek fruitfulness over self-promotion? Philippians 2, verse 6 to 8, exhorts us to have the same attitude as Christ. And it says about Jesus, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up the div his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Joseph is an example of servant leadership, but Jesus goes beyond that. 
He is the ultimate fruitful servant. Joseph suffered unwillingly as a consequence of his brother's betrayal, and God turned it to good in the end. In chapter 45, Joseph says, Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me before you to prepare for you a remnant on earth and keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me, but it was God. As a result of Joseph's suffering, thousands of lives have been saved. Jesus, on the other hand, suffered willingly. Hebrew 12 tells us that uh, because of the joy awaiting him, Jesus endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Why joy motivates Jesus? It is the joy of being fruitful for us, the joy of loving and the joy of serving. He knew what sort of suffering was coming. His suffering was far greater than Joseph's. Joseph was not murdered in the end, but he was only sold as a slave. Jesus, on the other hand, was also sold by Judas, but he was then actually murdered and shamed publicly at the cross. Joseph's afflictions in the land of Egypt saved his family from starvation and preserved the line of Abraham. Without this, the promise God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, wouldn't have been possible. And that, that promise was to make their descendants as numerous as the stars and to bless them. But the promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is accomplished in Jesus. The promise to bless Abraham's descendants and us Gentiles who were grafted in is accomplished at the cross. It is a blessing to deliver us from, from our wounds and from our hurts and our bitterness. But we're not only on the receiving end of being hurt. We're, we also have hurt and wounded others. And Jesus dies on the cross to redeem our souls from the evil we have done to others. In chapter 42, verse 25, we read, And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and replace every man's money in his sacks and to give them provisions for the journey. The brothers get their grain for free because Joseph, the man at the right hand of Pharaoh, pays for them. And in the same way, Jesus, the man at the right hand of God, the one true king, pays for us so we can be made right with God. We're almost at the end of the sermon, and I would like to summarize what we covered and conclude. Joseph named his sons as an act of praise to God. He named them Manasseh and Ephraim because as a father, his, his children are his greatest joy and he wanted to name them after the greatest thing that God did in his life. The first he named Manasseh to forget because Joseph was able to forgive his brothers and let go of his grudge. He named the second Ephraim fruitful because through suffering, he was fruitful and saved a multitude of people from starvation. And we saw how Joseph is a foreshadowing of Jesus, who embraced suffering out of love for us, to serve us and forgive us. In turn, he gives us the power to forgive 
the unforgivable and become free from the slavery of resentment. And he calls us to be fruitful, like he was fruitful. In John 15, Jesus uses the parable of the vine and the branches to teach us to depend on him. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Just like Joseph was fruitful, you can also be fruitful if you remain in Jesus. This is a promise he makes to you. Let's pray.